I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The biggest game in the NFL and a controversial ending. Plus, we'll look ahead to Monday night's Steel- or, uh, Falcons-Bucks game. I'm all excited. I'm all excited about the Steelers game. I can't wait to get into this. Welcome into the Rick and Tom podcast, everybody. Tom Jones, Rick Stroud, Tampa Bay Times. Our producer, Steve Versnick. And before we get into the big, let's get to the real story of the day, the real story of the weekend, Rick. Arkansas State, the Red Wolves, what happened, man? You guys had that game. I don't know. I feel bad. I, I, I was so, you know, they don't lose bowl games. I mean, we don't lose bowl games, I should say, uh, especially the Kamakamelia Kam- 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 Bowl. Um, <laughs> but uh, I will say I missed a good portion of that. I had to listen on radio because uh, I went to Hooters. So a special uh, night with the coach, oh, John wow. Gruden. Yeah. Hey, l- so yeah, I think I got a I got a message about uh, five thirty on Saturday saying, "Hey man, you're invited to this thing at Hooters. Coach is going to be there. ESPN people, players are going to be there." But it was too late. I was no. In fact, this was I thought it was Friday night. I got invited to that thing. So which night was was Gruden there? Was it Gruden Friday was there or Saturday? No, he's there Saturday night, and I had a family oh, okay. event as well. And uh, but I managed to make it by there. Uh, he's going to be there till nine. I got there about eight forty-five. Uh, kids were asleep in the car, so I went in by myself. Uh, left the wife in the car. It was. Uh, it was. Yeah. <laughs> did you crack the was, window for? <laughs> yeah, I did. I actually left the car running. Um, nice. But uh, yeah, I went in there for about an hour and a half. No, for <laughs> for a couple minutes. Jeez, for a couple minutes, I had to say hi to the coach. But uh, the kids wanted to go in, but they were they you know they fell asleep. What could I do? I didn't want to drag them in there asleep. But uh, now it was interesting. There was there were a lot of uh, you know a few people still left. I mean. You know, I um, I think most of them had already been in, and left. I, mean, I saw Steve DeBerg and, you know, Shelton Corals and some guys and whatnot. But talked to the, the coach, and, um, you know, it was interesting. I mean, he was uh, – I think he's humbled by by what's going to happen, you know, on uh, Monday night uh, at halftime, going in the ring of honor and all that. <laughs> they had – they were playing – every TV was playing uh, – was playing the, the replay of Super Bowl Thirty Seven, which was odd. Right. I thought, yeah. but appropriate in some ways. And you got to be honest, it's humbling, man. You know what I mean? But uh, it's like you're dead. You know what I mean? It's kind of like you're dead. <laughs> Everybody's talking about you like your life is over, you know? But uh, it's far from over. And um, I have no sense, Tom. I got to be honest with you. We can get into this later. But I just, I really, there is close friends of his that I know uh, that uh, meet with him regularly that that have no clue. They say he's very... He's very private about business, you know, when it comes to his his business, and that uh, they know that he's passionate about two teams, the Bucks and the Raiders. Wow! And and those, yeah, if he was going to do it, they feel like he would he would coach one of those. Now, from a business standpoint, it just makes no sense. I mean, he's you know he, he's got it made. He's got a great gig with tons of endorsements, and he'll never he's never lost a game in ten years. But right, um, you know, to think he would go back to the grind because he is a grinder and. Uh, and that lifestyle, you know, nobody's really sure what it will do, but they uh, they all feel like to a man. I guess we're talking about it now, but they all feel like yeah, it, yeah. To let's a man. keep going with this, yeah, because this, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a ring of honor, and yeah, it's, it's a just, topic in town. It's, it's John Green yeah. going to come back and coach, and he's yeah. going to coach the Bucks, yeah. 
Right. And and, and I, when I, we say coach, we mean actually Monday night after halftime when they hand them the contract. <laughs> no, Depends on we, what the score yeah, is at halftime. It's true. Um, but, you know, it's funny because, you know, they there is, there is a feeling that, like, well, if this is happening, then then it's, you know, sort of back channel, like this this will happen quickly. Like the stars have aligned here. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. They had a bad year, you know, 4-9. They don't, you know, Dirk. Dirk's wobbly, and and there's John, um, which just too many people think that he would be, you know, that this is the situation that he would come back for. And and I, I'm not, I've never been sure of that. I'm never, uh, I wouldn't rule it out, but I, I just, I, I've always felt like, you know, there's a lot, of, there's a lot of reasons not to do it here. Um, and yet, like I said, the the people that I talk to feel like. You know, the Raiders mean a lot to him. And, and you know, two places he coached, uh, Tampa Bay, and this is his home and the franchise and all that. But there's, I think we're a long way from uh, from knowing. I think, you know, it'll be at least two weeks before we really have all the information, or three weeks, three games. Uh, and then uh, and then we'll, we'll see. But if they've, the feeling is that if, if this has happened, if this is going to happen, it's happening now, you know, in, in, right, in right. Uh, board boardrooms that we're not, we're not privy to. I think the problem is when we try to figure out these things, Rick, we think we try to think logically. We try to yeah. think, okay, well, why would it make sense for him to leave the booth and he's never lost mm-hmm. a game and he's making $6 million a year and he's going to get all these endorsements. Mm-hmm. And, and we think it as rational third-party objective viewers of this, we're, we're, we're actually looking at, it's almost like watch, literally watching it on TV. He's invested in this. And so we sit there and say, why would you come back? Why would you come back to a place where you already won a Super Bowl? Well, he doesn't think that way. We think that way. He doesn't think yeah. that way. You know, he may think, "Hey, I want to come back and 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 win another one." Yeah, that that's why you coach. Yeah. You want to win another Super Bowl. That's and right. Maybe I want to come back and erase the the nasty the, the nasty ending where didn't like that the bitter way it taste. Ended. Yeah, yeah didn't, didn't like how didn't it ended. Like it. Yeah. So we could sit here and say, "I'll check off all the pros and cons for coming back, not coming back," unless you're that guy and you don't know what the Bucks mean to him, and you don't know how the ending meant to him, you don't know when winning a Super Bowl, what coaching means to him, there's no way we, you or I could sit there and say, well, logically it doesn't make sense, or it does make sense. It's all up to, you know, it's, it's up to a guy who's emotionally invested in all this, and that's John Gruden. Here's the thing, Rick, if, he was gonna, if he's going to come back, it's going to be pretty, obviously it's going to be pretty soon. He's been out, I find it hard to believe it's been 10 years. It's 10 years. Been, it's, it's to me that that was a shocking thing that it's been ten years that he's been on Monday Night Football. But I mean, he probably sits there because we sit there and say, well, if he leaves the Monday Night booth, he'll never get that job back again. Well, okay, maybe he's tired of traveling on Monday nights. Maybe he likes, maybe he doesn't mind doing a Sunday game if he eventually goes back to Sundays if he's a broadcaster in ten years. You know, so yeah, I mean, it'll always be work for him. We don't know. I mean, yeah, you know, right. Al, Al Michaels was the voice of Monday Night Football for how long? And now Al Michaels does Sunday Night Football, and nobody's like, wow, well, what a step down for Al. I mean, I think exactly. Sunday Night Football is actually a better product right now. You know, and they have more relevant games because they can do flex scheduling and all those things. Sure. So it's not. It's not like you know. Al Michaels took a big hit because he's not on Monday Night Football, and you know, so yeah, I mean that that career is going to be there if he came back. I mean, you know, Dick Vermeil did this for years and years. I mean, nobody thought that Dick Vermeil would ever uh, quit broadcasting, and and yet he did come back to coaching, and he was the ultimate burnout guy with the Eagles. And what did he do? He won a Super Bowl with the Rams, you know. And that's which I, when he came story. back, I said, "Are you kidding me? He's coming yeah. back. He, he's a thousand years old. He's the game's passed him by. That's not, that's yeah. the one thing about Gruden. I don't think anybody would would say that." No. All the games passed him by, or he's lost touch, or he doesn't know how to communicate with today's players. 
he seems to me to be the same guy that he's always been in terms He'd of He'd be a better coach this time around from several standpoints. I think one, um, and he said this to us, that uh, you know he regrets that he didn't have good relationships with his players. He didn't play golf with them. He didn't get to... You know, he he was so wrapped up in what he was doing that you know, and a lot of a lot of players resented him for that. They, you know, they uh, a lot of them didn't trust him all that much, and you know, John, you know, just didn't get to know them. And I think being out of coaching and in the business he's in now, he has you know certainly a better grasp of relationships, uh, you know, with with players and coaches and media and, and players, and you know, he's part of that now too. So I think he understands you know that side of the job better. So you know, I I, I think that life you know, teaches us all lessons and he, it's been 10 years and, and, you know, as a human being, you learn a lot in that time. Um, and he said, you know, I made a lot of mistakes, but, uh, you know, there would be challenges for him. And one of those would be, um, uh, assembling a coaching staff. I mean, one of the things that happens and, and, and you know, he, granted, he knows who the coaches are. I mean, he sits in, you know, production meetings with the head coaches all the time, but you have to have relationships, um, you know, with, uh, with guys through the business and, the guys that work for him anyway are, you know, mostly employed. If there are some still in football, they're either retired or they're with the Dallas Cowboys or some other place or, right, or right. there's Sean McVay coaching in, you know, but that's not to say, you know, look, his brother has a whole staff and at one point he might not be the head coach of the Washington Redskins. So it's not like John doesn't know coaches, but there, there are, there will be challenges if he decides to do it, whether it's here or someplace else. But there for years, Tom, I told you that I never thought he would leave. Yeah, it just didn't here. make sense. But, you know, now when you talk to people, it seems like, you know, he is starting to reach that crossroads where it's either, okay, you know, do I miss coaching? And he says he misses it. Every time he said it last night to me, you know, I really miss it. So every time, you know, he thinks that way, there's going to come a point where, okay, am I, am I going to do this? Am I going to go back and, and scratch that itch or, or, or that's it, you know, cause he's kind of right there. I mean, he's 53, he's not 63, but they will stop calling, and people will stop putting his name in conjunction with every time Tennessee fires a head coach soon. It would be incredible. It'd be incredibly encouraging if he took the Bucks job because it would mean that he has a lot of confidence in Jameis Winston as a quarterback. Sure. Because he's not going to take a job where he felt like it was a a dead end job, or you didn't have a quarterback, or you're going to have to draft somebody. And it was going to take a few years. There's no way he takes a job that's not you know add water and go to the playoffs. That's he seems to me like a type of guy that. He's not, he's not part of a rebuilding process. He's not looking to start this thing from the ground up. He's going to jump into a really good situation because he has options. This is not a guy that's yeah. desperate to become a head football coach. Um, and, and therefore, if he were to take over the box, it would say a lot about uh, his thoughts about where the organization is and where Jameis is. Well, he loves Jameis. I mean, I, I, I think that that's genuine. I don't, I don't think he's making that up just because, you know, he loves every player. Um, right. But John's a quarterback guy, and if you talk to Brad Johnson about the nine hours a day you spend with him as a quarterback and, you know, those meetings which are, are very raw with his – I mean, he talks to all the players, but with his quarterbacks, he, he coaches them really, really hard. But, um, you know, he has said about Jameis – and he, he says, look, I watch tape, you know, and, and I, see, I see what this guy brings. I see what, he, what his football IQ is and what his potential is and, and just how much he wants to be great. I think that's what coaches want from that position, you know. And so, he's a Jameis. He's a Jameis fan, and I think that he he would be more than he said it. He goes, you know, he wishes that, you know, he could have coached Jameis Winston. Well, he might actually get that chance. I mean, we don't know Dirk Cutter's fate, but um, it's reasonable to suggest that if they don't, you know, look really good in these last three games, and and hell, they're going to play, 
you know, the Atlanta Falcons without Levante David and without Gerald McCoy in a very, you know, bad defense to begin with, um, it's not unreasonable to think they're going to struggle against the Falcons on Monday Night Football. Yeah, I was just getting ready to mention that the Dirk Cutter for now is still their coach. I'm curious to see the effort that's given. I don't anticipate anything but a really good effort from from the players who are out there, who are dressed. I think it'll be a competitive game to a point, but Atlanta's just a way better football team than they are. So Carolina's got some controversy now. Their owner's in trouble with uh, mm-hmm. possible sexual harassment issues. And he's talking about putting a team up for sale, and they might have one of their better players suspended with Thomas Davis with a really nasty uh, block today on a, on an after an interception. Um, but as as all these teams are still fighting for something, they're all playing for something, these games matter to those teams, and uh, it's going to be an uphill uh, battle for Dirk here. Uh, I don't see this ending well. I think they'll lose their last three games, and I don't even know if it if it matters if they're competitive in these games, Rick. If you if you finish four and twelve, which is what would be right if they went zero if they went zero mm-hmm. three the rest of the year, that's an ugly mark. I, I I don't see how you recover from something like that. Four and twelve is four and twelve. Yeah, four wins are hard. Um, there are a lot of mitigating circumstances. We've talked about this a lot, but I I do think that um, they need to win. I think wins are important, whether it's six wins or seven wins or what have you, and how you play. Um, you know, you, you can make a lot of excuses for what happened this year, but you're right. I mean, most times coaches say you are what your record is, and yet um, there's a lot of coaches that when they got that third year, it, you know, Rod Rivera is a perfect example of it. Um, you know, they were able to come back and, and, and really take off, and, and, you know, he's been to a Super Bowl. Looks like he's going to you know, – has a good chance to win a division again this year. They had a down year last year. They didn't fire Ron Rivera. Right. Um, but he had been to a Super Bowl, and, and Dirk doesn't have that equity. That's the problem that Dirk faces is that, you know, who was Dirk Cutter before they decided to hire him? Well, he was a lifelong offensive coordinator, and a lot of people feel like, well, you know, sometimes those guys can be good head coaches, and sometimes they're just better as coordinators. And so mm-hmm. that's all the decisions that the Glazers have to make, but I think these next three weeks are important. I I keep swinging back and forth. I've been I've been led to believe by some that, no, John is not going to be the Bucks coach. That's not going to happen again. And then other, you know, then when you talk to others that are close to John, you know, you, you almost get the feeling that, you know, this is the opportunity he's been waiting for. So somewhere in there is the truth, and we're going to find it out, I'm afraid, uh, one way or the other, probably around January 1st. Two things about John Gruden. First off, Rick, and you know John Gruden way better than I do. I know him just peripherally we've had a few conversations but you've you've obviously covered him and and you have a much greater insight into him he's not the coach at least in my gut feeling tells me he's not a coach who would approach the glazers and say hey if you're gonna fire dirk i'll i'd be glad to take over i don't think he works that way i don't know maybe i'm wrong but there are some coaches out there who who will do anything to get a job in the nfl i think he would wait for the glazers to approach him and he would be the type of guy to say and well if you have an opening, yeah, let me know. But until then, I, I have really nothing to say. Maybe I'm wrong about that. The other part that I'll say is, and you can comment on both or, or neither of these things if you want. The The other part is this idea that you can't fire coaches every two years. And, and there's something to that. I believe that you you can't get into this routine of, okay, two, two bad seasons, then fire the next guy, and then one bad season, fire the next guy. I don't think the Glazers care about that. I really don't. I don't think that matters to them. I think they would change coaches every every two years for the next 20 years if they felt like the next guy they got was better than the guy they just fired. I don't think they're going to be the type of owners that say, well, let's just be stable here. And there's some owners out there who are like that. And I mean, look at Jerry Jones. Jerry Jones is stuck with Jason Garrett way longer than I would have anticipated. Glazers don't strike me as really caring what people think or the idea that 
if you change coaches every two years, it's a bad idea. No, they don't. Um, they actually will tell you it's the opposite, that they want to win and they're going to keep trying until they hit it. And, you know, but what is hitting it? You know, I guess going back to the playoffs would be a good start. I mean, but last year when Dirk won five in a row and they, they finished nine and seven, it felt like, you had okay, we got the right guy. Mm-hmm. So what, what has changed in 12 months? Well, the record changed, you know. Um, I don't think these guys are not giving effort. I just don't think they're that talented on defense. I think that, you know, they, they uh, you know, they had an injured quarterback. I still, you know, if I, if they, when, when I write the, uh, you know, the autopsy of this season, you know, Jameis's inability to make certain throws and his desire to play and their desire to play him probably was the wrong decision and probably cost them games. Um, they, they had four games that, you know, they had the lead or he, or a tie, he brought him back for a tie in the fourth quarter and they won one. Um, they couldn't rush the pass. We can go on and on, but it's just, you know, I, I don't know that Dirk Cutter, I don't know that there's enough evidence, uh, uh, from this year we could say, nah, he's not the guy like there, there hasn't been anything that, that, that he has done particularly well. I mean, you can say, well, okay, everything we just said is true that offense should average more than, you know, 20-something points a game. Uh, that's true, and that's on the coach. So, you know, there, there's a lot of damning evidence as well, and it just comes down to, as we've said, I, I still believe that you have to decide, is Dirk Cutter not just our head coach, but is he going to get this quarterback um, to, to the level we need him to play at for us to win games? And that gets back to this, you know, we haven't talked since – you know, Todd Munkin went on his unsolicited rant uh, about the relationship that Cutter and uh, and Winston have, and then how all players are frustrated, and he can't believe it's a story, while almost you know confirming it's a story. Um, you know, and, and so that that's a big part of this. Like there is somebody out there who clearly you know went outside the core and the unit, uh, and you know told people that. There was dissatisfaction or frustration, whatever you want to call it, in a 4-9 season between coach and quarterback. And, yeah, maybe that's not unusual. But what is unusual is that somebody really wanted that out, somebody that doesn't want Dirk Cutter here. And if that's influencing the Glazers' decision at all, then that that really could be, you know, the biggest reason for getting rid of Dirk Cutter, apart from just 4-9 or 4-whatever, whatever the record ends up being. Right, right. Well, Monday night, they'll take on the, uh, the Atlanta Falcons. That's uh, part of the story. The other story, of course, John Gruden going into the Ring of Honor. I was watching Football Night in America Sunday night. I was waiting for Dan Patrick to ask Tony Dungy, hey, Tony, what's this obsession with the Tampa Bay Times? <laughs> you haven't been there in 15 years, and they're still bad-mouthing you and running you out of town. So, uh, so we'll, I, we'll all be happy, I think, once, uh, once Monday night uh, passes. Uh, Rick, uh, terrific football game on Sunday. We sort of previewed it on our football Friday, the Patriots and the Steelers. Essentially, it feels like the team that won that game was going to have home field advantage for the rest of the playoffs. So Jacksonville's still certainly in the mix, and we'll have something to say about all this. But an absolutely terrific football game. And in the end, I'm going to go two ways here. I told you the Steelers cannot cannot beat New England in when in a game that matters. And yeah, they come proved, on, they proved it. But I'm telling you right now, I am, and I'm I'm not even a, I'm not even talking as a Steelers fan. Okay, maybe a little bit as a Steelers fan on this. I am livid at the way this game ended, and I think the the National Football League should be embarrassed for how this ended. Let me just set it up, and then you can give your thoughts on this. What happened? The Steelers were driving. They were down three points in the last minute. They drive. 70 yards essentially in two plays. The first play was a, about a 65 or 70-yard pass uh, down the sidelines that 
wide receiver. Juju breaks it, goes all the way down to the to whatever, the 10, 11-yard line. And then on the next play, Ben Roethlisberger throws a pass to Jesse James, the pride of South Allegheny High School, the second most famous graduate of South Allegheny High School, me mm-hmm. being the first, of course. And uh, Jesse James catches the ball, and it catches well, I the ball somehow ends up, is in his hands. I shouldn't say catch because it turns out not to be a catch. Turns around, reaches into the end zone. When he puts his to reach out across the plane, the ball hits the ground and sort of rattles around. It appears it never leaves his hands, but it does also appear that the ball hits the ground at some point. For all the world, that was a catch. They called it a touchdown, and then there was a long look at it. We, didn't even, we weren't even sure what they were looking at at first, and then soon after we discovered what it was. The call was overturned, Rick, and it was ruled not a touchdown. And then uh, um, the next play, or two plays later, I guess it was, Ben Roethlisberger tried to run a, a play over the middle, threw a, threw a bad ball, was picked off in the end zone, and the Steelers lose the game. Okay, let's go back to this catch-not catch. Rick, that's a catch. I'm telling you, I don't know. I don't care what the rule says. I don't care what the league says it is. I've watched football for most of my 53 years on this planet. You have done the same. In every world in the history of football, that's a catch. And I think the league should be embarrassed that that was not considered a touchdown. Rules are set in place so that the team that's supposed to win wins. And the team that was supposed to win that game on Sunday did not win because of a stupid rule that needs to be changed. Okay, we'll get to the catch-no catch here in a second, but I would say that uh, the team that won was supposed to win because the team that didn't win had several chances to win that game, including a guy that dropped an interception. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. At the 20-yard line with two minutes to go. Uh, and allowed Tom Brady to then drive the ball down and score and go take the lead. So there's never one play that gets you beat. I know there'll be a lot of focus on that one, rightfully so. Uh, or, you know, we can talk about the play after the non-catch where Ben Roethlisberger could have spiked the ball and they could have kicked in the, the field goal to go into overtime. Which, by the uh, way, I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with – now, you, I have an issue with him throwing it into traffic like he did. But I think yes. you go for a score there. You had enough time to run a play. I, I hated the play call. Well, it but, seemed like a one. It seemed like a one-man route. I mean, it was like nobody else did anything. Nobody else did anything. They ran the anything. guy across, right. dragged across the middle of the field on the slant and – he, you know, it wasn't there wasn't no timing in this play. I mean, Ben kind of pulled it back and then tried to throw a fastball in traffic. He got tipped up and intercepted in the end zone. Right. Game over. So those are those are plays. I know that, that that play doesn't happen if if you're right for the last you know umpteen years. You know, in any football field in America, everybody's saying that's a touchdown. The problem is is that and this this goes. I mean, I you know we can go as far back as Bert Emanuel almost sure. and different different things, but. Um, you know, all of a sudden the NFL wanted to define what is not a catch. Uh, and so this going to the ground, whether you're out of bounds, falling out of the back of the end zone, falling in the stands in the Lambeau leap, it doesn't seem to matter that, you know, unless you're taking the car, taking the ball to your car after the game and still have it in your hands, <laughs> uh, to have it signed, you know, and put in your mantle and you drop it somewhere on the way by the fireplace, it's not a catch. And so, that that thing has to be has to be dealt with. I'm not sure. The problem is technology now. 
being what it is, we didn't have these, you know, extra slow-mo replays and this kind of stuff. Um, so your choices are this, Tom. If we're going to go just strictly on the eyeball test, which, you know, well, back in the day, that's a catch anywhere, okay, then then you're going to have to do away with replay <laughs> because that's what's screwing things up right now, you know. Right. Just right. let the officials call the game, okay, um, and – you know, we're going to we're going to go with what the officials say. They can get together. They can huddle. They can do whatever. But we're going to go with what the official says is a catch. It's a damn catch. Because anything, anything that you're going to review, uh, you're going to have to have rules for because it's slowed down so much. And that's mm-hmm. that's how they got into this trap in the first place is because of technology and that you can watch the ball. It moved. I saw it move before he hit the ground. It moved. Right. Right. It's crazy. I mean, you know, this is happening in milliseconds. And, you know, um, you know, you can see you can see flies landing on the football as it's going across the plane. I mean, it, it's just ridiculous. So I, I don't I think replay is a monster, you know, but it's it's already, you know, you can't you can't undo technology and it's here to stay. So I don't know how I don't know how they're going to legislate things like what is a football move? What, you know, you know, was it a fumble or did he you know, did he was it incomplete? I mean. It affects so many things about the game that it's just crazy, and I don't, I, I don't know how they can fix it. But I would, I, re- I would tell you, by definition, that was not a catch. Whether the way the rule applies now, I don't remember the play that happened, whatever it was, ten or fifteen years ago, that said we need to change the rule to begin with. The whole right. Bird Manual rule to begin with, that the Bird Manual, that was a catch. I yes. look back at that, and I look back at that play, and I still don't yes. understand. So uh, my thing is, usually we have rule changes because something happens. We right. changed the whole format of the All Star Game in baseball because there was a tie one time. Mm-hmm. We there was Derek Jeter hits a home run, and Jeffrey Mayer reaches over the fence and catches. And now we got to have replay for home runs. There's always a play that leads yes. up to okay. The, because of that, we need to change rule. Uh, I'll give you another perfect example. There's a rule in the National Hockey League now about reviewing offsides on goals. That whole reason that is in place is because in the playoffs a couple of years ago, Nikita Kucherov scored an overtime goal against the Montreal Canadiens when he was actually offsides on the play. And Montreal Canadiens complained about it. And the league said, okay, now we got to put replay in. We have this mm-hmm. technology. So there's always a play. I don't know what the play was that said we have to go back and review this. And it goes back to whether it's Calvin Johnson or Des yeah. Bryant or whatever. Yeah. And today's another example. I don't know why. There was nothing screwed up. We've now screwed it up. Is my we have, and and I, is, and my memory is 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 sort of like you know that NFC Championship game that uh, Dungey coached in, um, in the '99 season, uh, with Bert Emanuel because, I mean, but prior to that, there was nothing like this is, <laughs> it, it's like, a catch was a catch unless they said it was incomplete. You know what I'm saying? Right. And what they actually did was define what a catch was, not what it wasn't. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like. No, no, no! It's not a catch until, which was weird, you know, because everybody kind of assumed we knew what a catch looked like. It was, you know, everything else we weren't sure of. You know, did he fumble the ball, for example? You know what right. I mean? Uh, you kind of, you kind of understood. You know, did the ground cause the fumble? I mean, that was the only thing that that I remember. You know, people ever checking, like, well, did he fumble? Was it coming out before he hit the ground, or did the ground cause it? Ground can't cause a fumble. It's still their ball. Then all of a sudden we decided that we're going to, you know, as a league, uh, de- you know, determine literally whether a guy caught the ball, which that's the trap. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. Because now now you're going to have 25, you know, interpretations of what you need to do to actually, well, it's a catch unless if he's going to the ground, 
even if he's out of bounds or out of the back of the end zone, then it has so that's where they got that's where they got sideways on it. But I don't know I don't know what they're gonna do again except to go back to hey, we're gonna trust our officials. If they say it's a catch, it's a catch. We're not gonna review we're not gonna review completions. We're just, you know, uh, right. we can review his feet in bounds maybe. Um, something like that. But as far as possession of the football and all those things, not reviewable, not a scoring play. We're not going to review those. You know, it's just whatever. We're going to go with what the official says. I guess well, as far as the review, this is a rule that needs to be changed. And I, and I know you're saying, well, where do you, where's, where's the, what's the rule? Like, what, what is a catch? Yeah. What do you define a catch to be? Right. What, what I define a catch to be is if that ball had been rattling around Jesse James's hands the entire time, then mm-hmm. I can say, okay, he never had possession of it. But mm-hmm. if there's a point where you do have possession of it, and you start to make football moves, which he did on this play. Here's, here's the thing that frustrates if, you, if you're a Stewart's fan, it really frustrates you. If he had caught this ball at the 20-yard line and caught it and ran for 20 yards, and then as he reached out and as soon as his hand crosses the plane and then he smacked it on the ground and the ball come flying out of his hand into the touchdown. end zone, that's a, still a touchdown. That's right. On this play, he caught it, made a turn, reached into the end zone. At one point, he did have the ball in his hands, totally under his control. And I think, again, that's interpretation. I get it. But I'm looking at this, Rick. This is a bad look for the National Football League. That's my only point. Most people who watch this game, unless you're a New England Patriots fan, looked at this and said, you know what? That, that's, yeah, you know what? They, the Steelers got, everybody believes the Steelers got screwed here. If everybody believes the Steelers got screwed, then the Steelers got screwed. There's well, something wrong with, the, with this rule that yeah. there's this outrage that it's a, it's a bad look for the league because that should, that's a touchdown. Well, I don't know that it is. I don't know that everybody would agree with you because you know, even outside of New England, perhaps less some people to feel like again where they get where they get in trouble was you're right at any point in the field if you'd have run in the end zone and, and slammed the ball on the ground and it came out of your hands it's still a touchdown. The problem is in the act of making that reception, he was going to the ground. He was he was starting to lose his balance. He was stretched out. Okay, he didn't he didn't catch it. Stand up run and die for the end zone. He was literally, by their interpretation, you know, on his way to the ground with the football after making the catch. So they didn't they didn't dispute the fact that, you know, that he had possession of it at some point. It's just that you have to maintain possession all the way to the ground. And when he extended his arm, that's when it hit that's when he started it started to move and then the ball hit the ground and, you know, he, he wasn't under he didn't have complete control of it. So again, it's that going to the ground nonsense that I think they need to eliminate if they want to make things simpler, um, and then everything else you can still review. But you know, yeah, it was it was, and again, like we mentioned, one play doesn't beat the doesn't beat the right. Steelers. But man, you talk about affecting, impacting the the uh, playoffs now. I mean, let me tell you what this play did. I'll tell you what this play did. If that's a touchdown for the Steelers, well, first off, let me start here. I'm not absolutely convinced that New England wouldn't have gone down and scored again. <laughs> they had 28 they seconds yeah, and two timeouts, and the way yeah. and the way Rob Gronkowski was just running like oh, nobody geez. was covering him, he might have he might have caught another seven passes in the last 28 seconds. But uh, let's say the Steelers go on and win that game. Here's what happens: the Steelers probably get home field advantage throughout the throughout playoffs, the playoffs. and. There's a real good chance at that point Jacksonville is the number two seed, mm-hmm. which means New England drops the number three seed. Number three, yeah. So that means they got to play a game. Not are going to play out at that point. They would play a home game. It would be a home playoff game. You'd figure against a maybe a team like a Buffalo or somebody like that, or San Diego or Kansas City, whoever. They'd wipe them out. But then they'd have to go to Jacksonville for a game for a second round game. Yeah. And then potentially 
If the Steelers won out, they'd have to go to Pittsburgh for the AFC Championship game. As it stands now, it looks like New England has the inside track for Mm -hmm. home field advantage through the playoffs. And now the Steelers in Jacksonville will fight it out for the second and third seed. So it could cost one of those teams. Steelers Uh, could fall to number three before this is over. Exactly. And a game that they probably should have won if it not been for a dumb rule. Oh, yeah. Now... Uh, I don't want to hear ever again. But there's there's one thing that, that we all benefit from all of this, and that is for the rest of our lives. I you know what? Because <laughs> I swear to God, I hope New England wins the Super Bowl, and they get and they and it's because they have home field advantage in the AFC Championship. For the rest of our lives, no New England fan can ever say the NFL is out to screw the New England Patriots. Okay, <laughs> that card is gone. You've already played it. Okay, we're done. I don't want to well, hear wait it ever a again. Uh, are they going to let Brady play those four games that he missed the year he I won a Super Bowl? I don't want to care. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. The flake gate, babe. The flake gate. The flake gate, spy gate. Forget it. You just all. You just <laughs> threw down your ace today. You threw down the ace of spades today. You trumped everybody. This will, from now on, no bitching and whining, complaining, belly aching from New England fans because you just got about, the gift. How about an organization? Though? How about an organization? You got to give them credit, but how about an organization that wins a Super Bowl on the goal line when the game is over oh, I know. and wins this game, which might be the biggest game of the year, and help them win a Super Bowl with interceptions in the end zone on balls padded up in the air when they probably neither one of them should have been thrown. That's you know right. I mean? Colossal you know, mistakes on the part of the quarterbacks who, uh, who threw those passes. And well, here's the other thing, too. And okay, this, since we're, uh, since I'm, we're all pissing on New England right now, I'll continue to do it. They win their, they're winning a division again. It's their ninth straight year winning division. You realize they play in a division with nobodies. It's a, it's, That's they, not they, their fault. I know, but I like tell me that doesn't benefit them a little bit to play in a division. Of course, where essentially six games a year, you're 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 winning five of them. You're basically starting a season at five and one because the rest of your division stinks, and and that's no wonder you you went. Now look, I'm not look, I'm not seriously saying that New England doesn't deserve all the credit they get because here's the thing, Rick, they went into Pittsburgh, that was a. That was a uh, a good Steelers team. They beat a good Steelers team. Now, now I'll tell you what though, they caught a break. Antonio Brown missing the second half yeah. really hurt the yeah. Steelers because the Steelers passing game in the second half they got a little conservative. They didn't throw the ball downfield at all in the second. half. They got half. real conservative in the second half. They had a couple, you know, series there where Todd Haley wouldn't even let Roethlisberger throw the ball on second down. So right, right, you know, all of that factored into why they lost. But you know, but here's the thing: they went into the first half. They knew what the Steelers were doing defensively. Rob Gronkowski was pretty much shut down. He threw the ball three times to him, I think, in the first half. Two catches for like 30 yards, 33 yards, something like that. And in the second half, he went crazy. And that's, look, that's Belichick. That's Josh McDaniels. Those guys made adjustments in the second half. That's the Steelers, too, because how you can't, why you wouldn't double this guy in, in at least zone coverage near the goal line and let them, they let them throw fades. To Rob Gronkowski, really on the goal line? Like that's just a terrible plan, you know. I mean, make make them go to Brandon Cooks. No make them go somewhere. Ever. They have no answer for it. They know, played well, zone does. over the years. They've played zone against them over the years. Well, they've they've tried. But they, you're right. I, they need to figure out. Uh, that's the, the easiest thing. play in the world. I'm gonna I'm gonna run. I'm gonna throw fades one on and oh, one yeah. on ones to the, to that monster. I mean, come on. They need to figure out something. If they do play him again, they need they need to figure out something there. Um, but a really terrific game. Did you learn anything about this game? Are you more uh, convinced now that New England's the team to beat in the AFC, or or how impressed are you with Jacksonville at this uh, point? I, I mean, I like I like you know Blake Bortles had an unbelievable game. I mean, they didn't have, you know no Leonard Fournette, um, you know, and they they just I mean he threw for 
I don't know, 350 yards and a bunch of touchdowns. And, and, and you got to give all the credit in the world to what, what Jacksonville has done. I mean, they're going to run the ball and play defense. They're going to be a hard out for somebody. They're very physical. Um, I, I, I like Jacksonville, but I, I, I think New England's vulnerable this year. They don't seem right to me. And I, I can't really put my finger on it. I don't know if it's their defense. Um, it seems like, you know, you can make big plays. They give up. I mean, that play they gave up the the sixty yarder. The, the oh, yeah. safety took a terrible angle, and you know, um, you know, Miami held them to. Well, I mean, today I think you know the ball control. Pittsburgh had a huge advantage in time of possession in the first half, and they were one for three. You know, New England was one for three on third down, which meant they had had one third down in in six quarters. You know, right, so right. They go through these slumps where you can actually, you know ball control them a little bit, keep the score down a little bit. Um, you know, they still got Tom Brady and they still got Gronkowski and, and you know, they, they have a chance in any game if you put the ball back in his hands. But it seemed to me like the Steelers had the perfect plan, but, you know, they, they find a way and that's that's a real tribute to them. But they don't seem to be the team, I don't think, that, that won the Super Bowl a year ago. Now, they always get better. So once you get into January – you know, they usually play their best football. They play their best football, and they got the best coach. I don't want. There's no other oh coach God. that I would rather have getting ready for another team. The thing that this game did too for the Steelers, the Steelers needed this. This game was way more important for the Steelers than it was for oh, the Patriots. Yeah. Just psychologically, because there's Huge. this sense that the Steelers can't beat New England when it matters, and they didn't again. <laughs> and I don't care. You could chalk it up to a bad call or whatever, or the guy dropped an interception. You could say the Steelers dominated. They should have won. But the fact of the matter is, New England won again. And I think as long as the Steelers play New England in a game that matters, they deep down don't believe they can beat New England. And New England doesn't believe they can lose to the Steelers. Yeah, unless something was figured out. Because that, that was always the case, too, with the Bucks in Philadelphia. And I know, you know, it was 100 years ago. But, um, you know, even the year that John Gruden, you know, won the Super Bowl, they played Philly and, and you know, they got beat. And and yet uh, during the regular season, and yet John figured some things out, and he felt like he knew he had them uh, when they came off that field. And what he figured out was how to keep Hugh Douglas off the field when they were, kept them in nickel, and you know made linebackers cover you know cover crossing routes and things like that. And that's how they ended up beating them. But I, I you never know what what a team you know what Pittsburgh figured out today because they had a pretty good day. And and so I wouldn't totally dismiss it, but you're right. Psychologically, this was this was a big one. If Pittsburgh had gotten it, um, they'd have felt like they conquered something. And in in the home field, I mean, home field is is huge. It's and, huge, and, yeah. And the well, the, the only other thing the Steelers could do is send a driver to pick up Rob Gronkowski on the day of the <laughs> FC Championship game, and then just drive him to Maine somewhere and tie him up because that's the he only destroys one. them. He does. He just has, and he's so funny how he does it too. Did you see the one like he caught the touchdown, the, the uh, or the winning two point conversion? Or the yeah. two point conversion, and he laughed at the guy. He was like, yeah. it was a, that was a celebration, just laughing at the guy, <laughs> which is is actually quite awesome when you think about it. Uh, other big games: Packers and the Panthers. Boy, Aaron Rodgers looked like like he hadn't played football in six weeks, Rick, or eight weeks, or whatever. Yeah, and he looked like that. He looked like uh, while he was out there with the shoulder that he couldn't get the ball down the field. I mean, he no. struggled. Uh, he had some guys, some opportunities, and he and he underthrew them and and missed some players. And, um, you know, and you're right. He was rusty. I mean, three interceptions. And yet, he was still Aaron Rodgers. I mean, they get the onside kick. Uh, they drive it down there. They're around the 20-yard line. And, uh, you know, they have an opportunity to uh, to at least tie the game, send it overtime, what have you. We've seen them do it a million times. And they get a ball stripped out of their hands and, um, you know, game over on the fumble. But Carolina's a team that I, I don't know quite. I mean, 
they're having a great year. I mean, they're starting to get better use out of McCaffrey. And when Greg Olson came back today, it was like, oh, okay. So now Cam Cam has a security blanket now. He's going to throw it to him 25 times a game. So uh, I wouldn't discount them because they have a really good defense. And, um, you know, we'll see where they they get seated. The funny thing is, of all the uh, NFC teams that are fighting it out, especially there's three teams in the NFC South, what's interesting about it is, you know, New Orleans wins today. Um, Carolina wins today, but the team that controls their own destiny is the team that's in third place right now in that division. That's the Atlanta Falcons. Because yeah. if they win out, uh, they'll have an opportunity to beat, you know, to beat the Bucks, to beat Carolina, and to beat uh, New Orleans. And they would win the division, even though they're in third place right now. New Orleans has two wins over Carolina, so if they end up tied, Carolina cannot win the division. So it's really coming down to these three weeks, and that's why Monday night, you know, is is a big game for other teams, including. The Packers, who will not be eliminated if somehow Tampa Bay were to win, the Packers would still be uh, mathematically in this thing. One other thing about the Panthers, and we just mentioned it briefly at the top, we'll talk more about it as the week goes on, but the breaking news on Sunday night where their owner, Jerry Richardson, apparently the, the uh, subject of some allegations of sexual assault or harassment, I should say, I shouldn't say assault, harassment. Um, and it's, it's serious enough where he's going to put the team up for sale, which will be interesting, Rick, because... Boy, those teams don't NFL teams don't come open very often for ownership. No. There are a lot of people like to own an NFL team. It's really good business. So uh, we'll see how that plays out. One other thing I do need to mention: I, I swung and missed on my Cleveland Browns prediction that they would win on uh-huh. Sunday. Yeah, no, don't close. worry. There's next week. <laughs> no, I'm done. They come on. No, nope, they're going to go in sixteen. I think I'm they're just... playing somebody they can win against too. I can't think of who it is. I right thought now, I thought they... Sunday was somebody they could win against, which was the Ravens at home. But the Ravens are still in a playoff spot, actually. And Marvin uh, anyway, Lewis leaving the Cleveland Bengals. Cle- or Cleveland uh, Bengals. The Cincinnati Cle- Bengals. Cincinnati Bengals. Okay, Maybe they okay. are the Bengals. One last uh, thing. Somebody Cincinnati sent Bengals. me a text. Somebody sent me a text this morning. He said, Bucks, dot, 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 Marvin Lewis, question mark? Not a chance. They they turned him down years ago when they right. ended up hiring John Gruden. I did want to say, in talking to John last night, you'll appreciate this. Um, he looked... <laughs> Just making small talk. He goes, hey, man, you guys still do that radio show in the morning, man? And I go, nah, you know, we had to give that up a few years ago. Uh, that's too bad. I didn't know that. Hey, tell you what, why don't you get him? Hey, how about me, you, and Tom do a show? We should do that. Hey, we should do it in that afternoon slot. You know what I mean? That guy doesn't like anybody. <laughs> it was hilarious. Uh, sign me man. up. Me, you, and Gruden, are you kidding? I'll walk <laughs> to the be- studio. I'll pick him up. every. I'll get up at 318 or 319 or whatever it was. I'm not sure we need you. Just be Gruden on Gruden. I just turn the microphones. I'll just be yeah. there, like, can I, I'll just introduce everybody, okay? <laughs> then you and him can do Gruden back and forth for the next three hours. I'll can you imagine how annoying that would be? <laughs> it would I'll be awesome, what, man. I'll tell you what, man. <laughs> All I would do is just jump in and give away tickets and stuff, man. That would be great. <laughs> Well, thanks for listening, everybody. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter at Rick Tom Podcast at NFL Stroud at Tom W. Jones. Thanks to our producer, Steve Verstick. Have a great Monday, everybody. And we'll talk to you next time from Raymond James Stadium following the Bucks Falcons game. So stick around for that and have a great uh, have a great week. Talk to you soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 